the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by The Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. When you and I spend time comparing what others have to what we have, we think to be somebody we need what somebody else has in terms of looks, gifts, popularity, connections, achievements of others, which is a mistake for a Christian to do. The Christian's identity is sewn up in their union with Jesus Christ. Most of us enjoy a little bit of healthy competition. It's fun to get into a serious tennis match or play a rowdy game of cards with friends. But when competition stems out of envy and greed, it's not only unhealthy, it's unholy. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy continues a study in Ecclesiastes called Only the Lonely. While discontentment is prevalent in our culture, it's nothing new. Thousands of years ago, King Solomon wrote about this attitude and encourages us to replace it with something far better. A man became jealous of his friends because they had a larger and more luxurious home. And so he called a real estate agent. He planned to sell. And as soon as he sold his home, he was going to purchase a more impressive dwelling. Shortly after that, he uh, was reading in the classified section of the newspaper. And he saw an ad for a house that just seemed right for him, tailor-made for his tastes and his desires. And so he promptly called his realtor and told him that there was a house described in today's paper exactly what he was after, what he wanted. And he told him to move on it ASAP. The agent listened for a moment, asked several questions, and then replied, I don't know if you know this, but that's your house you're describing. As with this man, most of us don't need more. We simply need to appreciate more what we already have. The fact is that discontentment, as Benjamin Franklin said, makes a rich man poor. The fact is that contentment does not come when we acquire more. It is a product of the way we think. This man didn't need to change his house. He needed to change his mind and the way he looked at his house. See, contentment's an attitude adjustment more than it's a change, more than it's an acquisition. Paul says, we're not to be conformed to this world. We're not to allow the world to to squeeze us into its mold regarding material things, regarding peace and quiet. We're to be renewed in our mind. We're to allow the word of God to speak into our lives. And Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6 tells us, better a handful with quietness than both hands full. The Bible wants us to know that less is more when it's accompanied by rest in God. And peace through Jesus Christ. I like the way the message puts it. 
One handful of peaceful repose is better than two fistfuls of worried work. What did Paul say in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6? That godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to put contentment in our shopping cart. It has so many benefits to us. In fact, as I've been reading different commentaries and books on the subject, as I've wrestled with the text of God's sacred word, I come up with a number of benefits to contentment. Listen to these things quickly. Contentment decreases our dependence upon things and circumstances and increases a restful dependence upon Christ. If we truly understand contentment, it's not found in our circumstances. It's found in our Savior. We'll see this in Philippians chapter 4. But anything that leaves us looking at Christ is a good thing. Contentment is a good thing. Secondly, contentment provides a bulwark against the great sin of murmuring. What did Paul say to the Philippians? Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Do you ever get into a controversy with God? Do you ever take God to task, put him in the dock, and question his goodness? That's a sin. That's wrong. And for that, many Israelites perished on the desert floor in the wilderness. Read about it in Numbers chapter 11. Murmuring is a great sin, but contentment will guard us against that great sin. Thirdly, contentment makes a poor man rich. That's a good thing. Because that man becomes rich in the things that money cannot buy and the things that death cannot steal. That's how you know how rich you are. And the person that's content, the person that's found quietness through the cross of Jesus Christ and peace with God through faith in him, that person is rich in the peace of God that comes through peace with God. And that's a peace that passes all understanding. That person is rich, according to Peter, in a joy unspeakable. You see, when we're focused on Jesus Christ, that's where contentment and sufficiency is found. We will find in him a peace unimaginable and a joy unspeakable. You kind of feel wealthy when you've got those two things. Contentment, fourthly, acts as an anchor to the soul in the storms of life. See, a contented soul is a calm soul, at ease with where God has them in life. I love what Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said in his book, The Art of Contentment. The contented heart is never without heart. It's a good quote. You see, the soul that is at rest in God is up to the challenges of life. Contentment's a great thing. Add it to your shopping cart. Godliness with contentment is great gain, great profit. Fifthly, it's profitable because contentment prevents many sins and temptations. The devil loves to fish in troubled waters, to quote Thomas Watson again. But if we're content, if we're shipwrecked on God, if we live at the feet of Jesus Christ, and we find in him no lack, then we will find ourselves protected against temptation. We will not so easily fall to the temptation to drink the salt water of worldly pleasure, a pleasure that promises so much and delivers so little unlike God, who is never a disappointment. Sixthly and finally, contentment fits a man for every situation and sweetens every condition. Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I'm in. When you and I really understand what contentment is and we find it, then we're up to all that life throws our way. 
We will be men and women for all seasons. Jesus turned water into wine, and contentment turned sorrow into joy, and trouble into peace. Okay, now we come back to where we left off. Setting out some mile markers on the road to contentment. We want to get to that place where we understand with Solomon that, that a handful with quietness is better than two handfuls with worried work. We covered uh, some ground. Let me refresh you as to what we've already said regarding this issue of cultivating contentment. Number one, anticipate a struggle. Number two, want what you have. Number three, don't crave the things you cannot keep. And number four, live in the present, not the future. But let's look at a fifth mile marker on the road to contentment. Stop making comparisons. Stop making comparisons. You see, discontentment is the child of covetousness. Discontentment is the child of covetousness. In fact, in this very chapter here in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 4, Solomon identifies the fact that most people go about trying to fill both hands because they do it out of envy of their neighbor and rivalry towards their competition. And it's futile, it's vain, it's empty. Don't go down that road. Better a handful with quietness, says Solomon. But covetousness is among us. In fact, it's one of the big 10, isn't it? When in the 10 commandments, the Decalogue, Moses tells us, or more rightly, God tells us through Moses that we're not to covet our neighbor's wife, our neighbor's stuff, our neighbor's home. Jesus tells us in Luke 12, verse 15, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the things that he possesses. Covetousness is among us. And it's a malignant desire to have what doesn't belong to you. In fact, it's not simply wanting something you don't have. It's wanting what someone else has. And it's a cancer, and we need to be on our guard against it. Covetousness produces discontentment. But here's where I'm going. Comparison produces covetousness. When you and I spend time comparing what others have to what we have, it often produces covetousness. And covetousness, if it's not stemmed, will produce discontentment. We spend a lot of time comparing what others have to what we don't have. In fact, as I was pouring over the text, my mind drifted back to those early days in our home when my mom would make her two-layered cream cake with icing and sprinkles on top. When it came for dessert... I remember those days as a boy. Time would stand still. As we watched her lift the carving knife and set about slicing the cake into slices, and my beady eyes would watch to see if my brother Ian got a bigger slice than I did. And he was watching me watch him. We compare, we compete. And it's a deadly destructive game, and it robs us of godly contentment. Envy and comparison resulted in Cain murdering his brother Abel. It caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. It triggered Saul's murderous intent against David. He was set off when he heard the women of Israel sing, You know what? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And the green-eyed monster of envy raised its head on the basis of comparing one against another. Worst of all, Jesus' countrymen put him on trial, according to Matthew 27, verse 18, out of envy. This is a deadly and destructive game. It's not child's play. It actually leads people, all just aside, to murder. 
we think to be somebody, we need what somebody else has in terms of looks, gifts, popularity, connections, achievements, or just their stuff. And we fall into the trap of measuring our worth against the success of others, which is a mistake for a Christian to do. The Christian's identity is sewn up in their union with Jesus Christ. When I think about who I am, I must think about who he is to me. He's been made unto us what? According to Corinthians, righteousness and peace and wisdom. We have so much in him. When we are going to seek to define our identity, we define our identity and identification with Jesus Christ. We need to rediscover the doctrine of union with Christ. But at times as Christians, we forget it. We fall into the trap of measuring our worth against the success of others. And that makes us feel bad. And then there's a vicious cycle takes place. Having made ourselves feel bad by looking at the success of others, we make ourselves feel better. Having made ourselves feel bad by looking at the failures of others. Okay, I'm not as good as he is. I don't have as much as she has. But you know what? I'm better than they are. I have more than she has. And that's the game we play. We play this game of comparison. You may have heard the story of the two brothers who had terrorized a small village for years. They were womanizers, abusive to their children. They were charlatans when it came to business. And one of the brothers died, and the other brother who survived him went to the local pastor and asked the pastor if he would be willing to bury his brother. I want you to tell the people my brother was a saint. The pastor kind of rolled his eyes and thought to himself, that's impossible. You guys aren't saints. You're the devil in disguise. The man said, but if you're willing to do that, Pastor, I'd love to donate $50,000 to the building fund. Now, that got the pastor's attention. He thought for a moment, and he agreed to do it. And so the funeral came around in a day or two. And as the pastor got up, the casket was there in front of him. People had gathered. He stood up and said, you know what? The man that lies before us was a womanizer. He was abusive to his children. He was a charlatan in business. But I'm here today to tell you, compared to his brother, he's a saint. (laughs) But we're comparing all the time, up and down. And it leads to such discontentment and covetousness. And we've got to stop it. How might we do that? Well, hang in here for a few minutes. I'm going to give you five ways to stop comparing and stopping it now. Number one, rejoice in the success of others. Cultivate a generous spirit towards others when they're blessed. Loving your neighbor involves rejoicing in God's love towards them. We're told, aren't we, to love God and love our neighbor. Well, then if you want to do that, then love your neighbor when God loves upon them. Enjoy what they enjoy for their sake and for God's glory. Don't be mean-spirited. Ask God to cramp this envious spirit that may have taken hold of you. And because of the gospel, because of the example of Jesus Christ, because of the call to selfless love towards others, let us indeed enjoy what our neighbors get to enjoy. Be happy for their good fortune. Fight the cruel tendency not to want others to enjoy what you cannot enjoy. A New Yorker cartoon put it humorously. A man is speaking to his boss. He says this, Okay, I hear you. If you can't see your way clear to giving me a raise, how about giving Anderson a pay cut? (laughs) That's how wicked we are. 
twisted, deceitful in our hearts. That's why when the gospel comes and changes us, Paul can say, okay, then Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those that rejoice. Can you do that? You're called to do it. And if you'll do it, it'll help you stop making comparisons. Number two, remember sometimes it's God's will for us to decrease and others to increase. Bear that in mind when you're tempted to make a comparison. And you see God lifting someone up. You see God blessing them in the way he's not blessing you. Well, good. It's God's business. John got that, didn't he? In John 3.30, he sees his crowds beginning to get skinny. He sees Jesus' crowds beginning to get fat. He begins to see that his work is almost done. He's been pushed into the background. He's prepared the way. The Messiah has come. He has said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. There's one now among us. I'm not worthy to tie his shoelaces. And he says, he must increase and I must decrease. There's gospel truth. There's stuff to live by. When you're tempted to compare, and when you're tempted because of the comparison to covet, rejoice in the success of others, and remember sometimes it's God's will for us to decrease. Here's a statement you want to write down and pray over. We must learn by grace to want for others what God may not want for us. Are you up for that? Can you by grace want for others what God may not have for you? Can you rejoice when your children excel your achievements? Can you rejoice when a young man you've trained exceeds your expectations and your achievements? I hope so. If not, you're going to have real trouble with life. The gospel of Christ crucified is about advancing others, not ourselves. That's why we're told in Philippians 2, have this mind that was in Christ, who lowered himself, who made himself of no reputation, that the Father may be exalted and that people may be saved. Others, others, that's the point. In fact, that whole section is prefaced by Paul telling us, right, that we're to esteem others' needs more important than our own. That'll help you deal with comparison. I love old Vance Havner. He's now with the Lord, a Southern Baptist pastor of many years ago. He said this, most of us like the driver's seat. And if life somehow shoves us into the back seat, we like to be backseat drivers. That's me. He is a rare soul who can behave himself graciously in life's backseat. Then he goes on to say this, Blessed is the man who can take a back seat like Samuel to a lesser Saul or like John the Baptist to a greater Jesus. It's powerful. Can you find grace to take a back seat to someone lesser than you or someone greater than you when it's God's will that that be the case? Number uh, three, making comparisons is relative, selective, and therefore deceptive. What do I mean by relative? Well, I mean this. No matter how much we have or add to what we have, there's always someone else who has more. It's all relative. And if you're going to get into the comparing game, you're going to be miserable. You're never going to land because there's always someone ahead of you. You're going to be breathless. You're going to be tired. You're going to be wearied. I say selective in that we fool ourselves by comparing ourselves only to the desirable portions of a person's life that we're looking at, all right? When we get into this comparison game, we tend to look at 
the area of their life that we desire, their looks, their achievements, their stuff, I don't know what it is. But we tend to be very myopic, very limited in our perspective, and we forget that life's a package deal. If you want what they have, you've got to have all that they have. You can't put your foot into one of their shoes. You've got to put your feet into both of their shoes. Why don't you try their whole life on for size? But you see, we don't do that. Selective, it's relative, it's, it's actually deceptive. Stop comparing. Comparing ourselves with others takes the joy out of life, but contentment with godliness is great gain. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, and we're continuing a series in Ecclesiastes. You'll find helpful resources to complement our study at ktt.org. And be sure to request this month's free CD message from Philip titled, Keep Calm and Carry On. Now, just recently, we were marveling at all the doors God has opened to bring Know the Truth to more listeners in more cities. And Philip, I know that you've been thrilled to see how this daily broadcast has grown. It is hard to believe, Wien, but at this point in our history, we have produced more than 2,200 programs for the radio and the web. And these are messages uh, that God, we believe, has used for His glory, and uh, lives have been changed, and the influence of our ministry is continuing to reach more men and women across the United States. And so, we're thankful to God for His um, providence and kindness to our ministry, for our team of volunteers that allow this ministry to operate on a weekly basis for those who pray with us. And also, Wayne, for those who have invested in the ministry, we couldn't be on the air without those who have invested in us financially. In fact, that was brought home to me in a very special way. Just recently, I received a letter from one of our faithful truth ambassadors, a man I'll call Bob, who wrote to tell us that sadly he had to end his support because he had just been diagnosed with a terminal illness and expected to be in heaven soon. In fact, uh, Bob concluded his letter to me by saying this, Philip, please know that you have been an immense spiritual blessing in my life. Maybe people feel to say it enough, but I want the record of eternity to reflect the fact that your ministry made a difference. If there's a suggestion box in heaven, know that I will strongly recommend that the Lord bless you ever so richly and cause your ministry to abound to His glory. I am saddened that I must end my support, but I hope you understand. And you know what? Wayne, it was my privilege to just call Bob and his family and thank him for their ministry. And then that letter just inspires us as a ministry because there are more people like Bob who have invested in us on a monthly basis who allow this ministry to not only change their lives, but other lives. And in some ways, I think Bob's letter lays a gauntlet before us as a ministry and certainly our listeners. Uh, I would challenge those listening today, would you pick up where Bob left off? And would you consider becoming a truth ambassador, supporting our ministry on a monthly basis? You can do that as low as $25 a month or more or much more. Uh, But we're thankful to the Bobs of this world. Bob died in the uh, comfort of the gospel and the assurance of sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. And that's how we want people to live. And that's how we want people to die. And that's why we want to keep this broadcast going for as long as we can. So if you would consider becoming a truth ambassador, we'd very much appreciate that. Please go online and sign up today at ktt.org. 
Thank you, Philip. And yes, you can start that monthly donation today or call in a one-time gift to 888-644-8811. You can also give online at ktt.org. If you prefer, you can mail your donation to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Your generosity is so appreciated as we move into our eighth year of ministry, helping you and so many others know the truth. And we'll say thanks with a book by Jerry Bridges called Trusting God. Maybe you're well aware that you're prone to trust in something other than God when you face trying circumstances or difficult people. But when you learn to really trust God, you'll discover greater freedom and courage in your day-to-day. Ask for the book, Trusting God, when you give by calling 888-644-8811 or donate online at ktt.org. That's all the time we have for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back Tuesday for more Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. deep hunger for the Word of God, but you don't know where to begin your study? My name is Josh Bleeker, Dean of Dallas Theological Seminary's DC campus, and I've got great news. You can study all 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, in one of our eight degree programs. But wait, we know what you're thinking. Seminary? I don't have time for that. Well, with our flexible hybrid model, which combines online lectures with on-campus sessions, a typical class only requires three Saturdays per semester at our D.C. campus. So there's no need to uproot your life in order to deepen your biblical knowledge and broaden your ministry skills. Right now, DTS is offering every new student a $1,000 newcomer scholarship to start classes this spring. And I'm personally inviting you to join us for a seminary preview day where you can sit in on class explore campus and eat lunch with the faculty our next preview day is october 13 register at dts.edu forward slash dc if you're around my three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com